Good evening. The UK government started its talks with the European Union today to try to reach an agreement on our future relationship. But it's not speaking for all of the UK in those talks, says the First Minister, despite attempts to reach agreement between the different governments. In fact, he said, the Welsh government's advice has been repeatedly ignored. The different governments are often at odds. That's no surprise. They have different priorities, different views, and they're run by different parties. They usually find a way of working together, though, even if talks are tense, like this recent meeting in Cardiff. Most tense of all, anything to do with another relationship, that with the European Union. And now the UK government has set out its new negotiating position, things seem to have gone from bad to worse. When Michael Gove defended that position in the Commons, he said it was shaped and enhanced by input from Wales. I'm very well aware of the, uh, the views of the Welsh Assembly Government, thanks to the excellent work done by Jeremy Miles, their uh, Brexit Minister and Council General, and I enjoy the conversations that I have with Jeremy, Mark Drakeford and others in order to make sure that we can work together. Applied Cymru MP wasn't convinced. Uh, regrettably, the British government in a statement today has decided to take a belligerent approach to the second phase of Brexit negotiations. Michael Gove wasn't having that, just fulfilling promises, he said. And far from increasing differences, he said the United Kingdom is becoming more united. Britain leaving the European Union will mean that there is a greater degree of harmony between every part of the United Kingdom. Really? I asked the First Minister about that at his monthly press conference. Well, I would describe that as aspirational myself. The position of the Welsh government has always been that in negotiating our exit from the European Union, it would strengthen the UK government's hand if they could say in those negotiations that their objectives were objectives that were shared and been signed up to by the Welsh government, the Scottish government and Northern Ireland, because then your negotiator would be able to say, I am talking on behalf of all the governments of the United Kingdom. He did say that the devolved governments have uh, shaped and enhanced the negotiating position. Well, I'm a, certainly from a, where the Welsh government uh, is standing, it is very difficult for us to see where the negotiating mandate, as published last week, uh, reflects the consistent advice that we have given to the UK government, that in conducting those negotiations, their top priority should be protecting the economy, the jobs, the livelihoods of individuals here uh, in Wales. Uh, that is not the top priority in the UK's negotiating mandate. We think that it should be. And in your Aberystwyth speech you warned that the devolved governments um, might not be prepared to implement some things that you don't agree with. Is that a threat? Is it an empty threat? It, it is simply to uh, set out the reality of the situation. But if the UK government negotiating as they are now on their own, because their mandate does not have the support of other governments in the United Kingdom, if it were to strike a deal, for example, uh, that required fracking to be carried out in Wales, well, fracking is already banned in Wales. Uh, if it insisted that GM crops had to be grown in Wales, well, ever since the start of devolution, the very first Assembly term, the National Assembly took a decision not to allow the growing of GM crops in Wales. Uh, I'm simply saying to the UK government uh, that they won't be getting a message from me saying, uh, how quickly do you want me to do it? Today's the day that talks began about all this between the UK government and the EU. A reminder that the Brexit political crisis may be over, but the detail of it all is far from sorted.
If the relationship between the different parts of the UK is one of the ripples from leaving the EU, another is the future of a scheme which helps students from here study abroad. Actually, Erasmus Plus, as it's now called, gives exchange opportunities to non-students too, such as teachers and people from community groups. But its future is in doubt beyond the end of the year, as Owen Phillips now reports. What are you doing today? This has been Laura Williamson's aim, running her own salon. But she didn't always have the confidence to chase her dreams. She credits a placement in Germany through the Erasmus Plus programme with a change in her approach. Independence, confidence. Uh, it made me thought, you know what, I can do it. If I can do this, I can do anything. And when I got back home, I said, you know what, I want to do cruise ships. Then I started working on cruise ships then and worked abroad then and that built my confidence up there. I think anyone can do it. So how have you built up your clients since then? Laura got the chance to use Erasmus Plus and go abroad through Merthyr College. According to the scheme's organiser there, losing it would be a body blow. What kind of effect would ending this scheme have, do you think? Oh my God, on our college it would be a huge effect. You know, we use it as marketing for the college because it, it really changes our young people's, you know, attitudes, skills. If we, if we lost the funding, it would be, our college would be a poorer place. You know, it's very difficult to get work experience in this country, so the opportunity to go abroad and do it, it is, you know, phenomenal. Erasmus Plus is an European scheme that allows Welsh university, college and school students, amongst others, to spend time studying and working abroad. But because we've left the EU, the UK government will need to renegotiate our access to the programme. But in a surprise move, the UK government said they'd only look to stay in elements of the scheme for a time-limited basis. Our concern is, is that this very important scheme is going to be neglected by the much bigger trade talks that are, that are ongoing. But ultimately what it points to is the extent to which the UK government really understands the impact of many schemes, including things like the Shared Prosperity Fund and Structural Funds, that the impact those schemes have on individuals, particularly young people in our case, here in Wales. The Welsh Government are keen to stay in the programme. But last month the Minister revealed she'd be looking at alternatives. I am aware that the, that the Westminster government and English counterparts are look, potentially looking at a UK-wide scheme. Uh, that, I believe, uh, is second best, as it does not uh, have, as I said, uh, the, the recognition and the track record of the existing Erasmus scheme. I have had discussions with my Scottish counterpart and representatives of the civil service in Ireland to look at a Celtic scheme. Uh, if there was no UK scheme available or the English government was not willing to invest in this particular area. But the Welsh Conservatives defended the UK government's approach. I will urge the UK government to ensure that uh, we negotiate well so we can participate in this programme in a way that will ensure future benefits. But to put it into the uh, uh, EU withdrawal bill, I think would have re re uh, restricted our uh, negotiating policy uh, profoundly. And Negotiations between the EU and the UK began today. And while Erasmus Plus won't be near the top of the agenda, many in Wales will be looking on anxiously. 
Well, I'm joined now by the Conservative Shadow Education Minister, Susie Davis, and by the Labour AM, David Rees, who chairs the Assembly's Brexit Committee. You're both very welcome. Um, Susie Davis, uh, everybody agrees that Erasmus and Erasmus Plus have been good things. Um, should Britain remain part of it? Um, I'd like to see us have the opportunity to uh, remain part of the Erasmus Plus scheme, or at least the parts that people have had the most out of. But, uh, you know, the minister herself's got a point there. It's, it's not the only thing that we can be looking at here. And there's a big world. Wales needs to be looking not just at the EU, but beyond the EU you know, for, for future opportunities here. So uh, um, I, this, is, this is just one element, which I think we should keep, uh, but I don't think it should be the be-all and end-all. Given that, are you disappointed uh, by the... You, you heard what the UK government statement was there. I'll read a little bit more out of it. Uh, of it to you. Uh, the UK will consider options for participation in elements of Erasmus Plus on a time-limited basis. Is that disappointing to you? Not entirely surprised. I mean, we, we need the, the, the most open beginning to these negotiations with, with the European Union. And as we know, there are countries from outside the EU that, is, that are currently participating in Erasmus+. Plus. So there's no reason why we can't do that as well. Uh, you know, these are, these are the foothills of these negotiations. So I hope this doesn't get lost in the I'm, process. I'm sure we'll pick up on some of those, those issues there. Dave Rees, do you think that um, uh, it, Britain should remain part of Erasmus+, Plus, or should be looking at alternatives? No, we should be part of it. It's a shame that the UK government has put this into the trade negotiations. It should be a separate issue. Uh, we benefited from the Erasmus Plus. You know, 2014-2018, we had over 14 million euros spent over here in New Wales. 13 million euros last year. 7,000 people actually have benefited from that in those periods of time. This is an opportunity for our young people to experience opportunities abroad. Uh, could, could it have been it. separated from the negotiations? Though? Is it, I mean, all, all these things are, are part of negotiations, well, aren't they? This as much as, say, Gibraltar. Membership of programmes, I think, could be separated from the negotiations. It is different. Do we want to be part of a programme which works and delivers for people in Wales, and young people in particular? I don't think that relies upon whether we want free trade or whether we want barriers or tariffs in relation to that. We can do it differently. OK, and Susie Davis, yeah, I mean, you pick up on that. Was, could it have been left out of, of, of these trade negotiations? Possibly. I, I, I don't know the sort of the legal processes behind that. But as, as I said earlier, really, you need the most open start to these negotiations, which means that everything has to be on the table. I suspect we'll see that narrow quite quickly and quite considerably. And I'll quickly do a big about turn. Isn't the UK government right, David Rees, to say that uh, hold off making any long-term decisions until all the dust is settled on everything else? Well, we have to look at every programme. It's a seven-year programme in, in the European Union because it's a multi-annual financial framework. It's just seven years. So why can't we commit ourselves to those seven years? And when the next set of programmes come through, we'll again, look at where we are in those seven years' time. Uh, what about the alternatives? You heard Kirsty Williams mentioning a Celtic um, uh, Erasmus. Um, Good idea. If, I mean, if, I, I appreciate you don't want that to be the first option, but uh, if, if need be, is well, that the next option? Well, there's it being an additional option as well, because right. we can have that as part of a combination of opportunities for young people. And Susie Davis? Um, I don't think you need to restrict it to the Celtic nations. This should be for the whole of the UK, uh, with Wales uh, fighting okay. its own corner um, on that. Will you be um, trying to hammer that message home with your Conservative colleagues in Westminster? I think they already know my position on it. Um, you, before that, we were talking about the UK government's uh, negotiating position. Um, has the, uh, I'll ask this to David Rees, has the UK government duped the Welsh government? 
I don't think they duped the Welsh Government. I think it's just disappointing that they haven't listened to the Welsh Government. And our committee itself asked for more involvement, closer alignment with Europe, because that's where our market is, that's where our economy well, depends upon. that's off the table, isn't it? That's been off the table for a long time. Well, that is now off the table, the UK Government has said that, but they're not even listening to aspects of what drives our economy and what the Welsh can be pushing forward for. Uh, Michael Gove said uh, that the, 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 the negotiating position has been shaped and enhanced by the devolved administration. It would be nice to think that, but we don't see the evidence of that in the documents. Um, are you disappointed that uh, the UK government hasn't listened to the Welsh and Scottish governments and Northern Irish administration? I, I think it's a big claim to say that they haven't listened. I mean, after all, um, every constituent part of the UK is advisory at this stage, and I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't turn around and but say Mark that they Drakeford haven't listened. Said, Mark Drakeford said that if the, the UK government has repeatedly re or, uh, hasn't acted on any advice that the Welsh government has, has given. Uh, well, well, is that the case, though? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that I would take that at face value I and mean, the, the negotiations uh, which have involved the, the all the UK nations has been have been going on for several years now in shaping the actual exit uh, arrangements so it's, it's what we no, have to say it's no surprise to um, either Barnier or in fact uh, no but UK you're right you're right to say those meetings have been taking yeah. place but then um, the the, uh, the the negotiating position doesn't pay any attention to that at all that's well again as I say that that's a claim really isn't it I mean, okay. that's not the same as saying I, they haven't I, been listened I, I don't to think it's a claim. just a claim we, yeah. we've seen over the three and a half years since the referendum them. the JMC is yeah, not actually functioning very well. Until so that, that is the meeting yes. of, of European uh, uh, Brexit ministers. Brexit ministers. And on top of which, they've not been listening to many of the devolved nations. And to say that you know, devolved nations can have a say, we, what we want to actually have is opportunity to be a part of a negotiating process. But the trouble is you, don't want, you, you, you disagree with the UK government. Everything, you, everything the Welsh government will advise will be counted to what the UK government wants, won't it? We don't disagree with the UK government on everything. What we're simply saying is where there are devolved competencies, the Welsh government should have an opportunity to have a say into how the mandate should be directed. And that's just not been happening. Uh, that just seems reasonable, doesn't it, Susie Davis? Well, we are talking about um, uh, sort of two governments talking to each other as well. I mean, there's obviously Assembly and the people of Wales who are involved in this who chose the UK government by voting for them in the last general election. Having said that, I think it is right uh, to say that whoever's going into the, that room with uh, Michel Barnier should, should have... Uh, at, at least listened, and I think there has been listening, but also to show that they have been influenced. Maybe uh, that's where the problem is. And if, if um, David Rees, if the um, Welsh Government refuses to implement something that is agreed, as you heard Mark Drakeford say, is, is that a threat? Is that being wielded as a threat? I don't think it's a threat. What Mark is actually saying is clearly that when you negotiate, you have to look at how that can be implemented. And when those are devolved competencies and requiring devolved governments to implement something, you should be working with those devolved governments and just not just ignoring them. OK, thank you very much, both of you. I'm not ignoring anything that you've said, <laughs> I promise. Um, earlier this evening, Wales This Week investigated how air pollution has become the largest environmental risk to our nation's health, causing 40,000 premature deaths each year in the UK. Most of us breathe in polluted air on our way to work. For children, it's the journey to school. Louise Elliott went to Howardian Primary in Cardiff to find out more. This year, three class has been learning about the different ways they can travel to school. Hands up, those of you who walk. What about coming by bike? Who cycles oh, to school? Sometimes. I do. Sometimes. What about car? A lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. They've been discussing how these different modes of transport can affect the way we breathe. Maybe um, we could, like, walk around more than taking the car. I think we should scoot more because it 
It's not good for the air because the fumes that come out of the car are polluting the air. Some people, um, go, when they go in cars, they go in cars so much, but if you live far away, you can share a car with somebody. But how bad can that early morning school-run traffic really be? We gave the pupils some air quality monitors to find out how much pollution they're being exposed to on their journeys to school. Jordan White from the company EarthSense has come to analyse our findings. So I've got all the data from door to door, so from them leaving their house to getting into school. And from that, we found that the cleanest way to get in um, on this particular day was to walk or catch the bus. And then the car was the worst. It's estimated that pollution levels can be up to 12 times higher inside the car than they would be outside. And breathing in polluted air doesn't just affect our lungs. Researchers have discovered it can also cause anxiety, depression and dementia. It's not just people dying early. It's, it's actually there's a far greater number of people whose life is being negatively impacted on an ongoing basis because of air pollution. There's been some recent studies around dementia and I try and, and, try and make the link that actually with the pollution going, going through the lungs, into the blood, into the brain, actually there, is a, there are now links between different types of dementia. The Welsh Government has a new clean air plan which hopes to put greater investment into public transport and more restrictions on where and how people can drive. It is about making sure we make the right decisions now. It's about not making decisions now that will store up more problems in the future. It is young people that are sort of driving so much around climate change mitigation, improving our environment, environmental growth, improving air quality. And I think Wales can really lead the way. Researchers say we can start by ditching the car or cycling on quieter roads to help us breathe more easily. But is ditching the car a practical option for many of us? The Economy and Transport Minister, Ken Skates, has big plans for a future with much better public transport options. And when I spoke to him earlier, he insisted that the Welsh Government is already taking effective action to improve the air that we breathe. Well, a huge amount of activity is underway. Already we've introduced 50 mile an hour zones at major points on uh, the trunk road network to drive down levels of nitrogen dioxide. We're encouraging people to take up active travel as an alternative to the private motor car. We're investing a record some five billion pounds in the rail franchise, three quarters of a billion pounds in the metro in the south. We're spending a billion on uh, transport in the north to encourage people not just to shift from private car to public transport, but also to encourage people to choose the correct means of traveling when they're traveling by themselves. So we've got a fund which we're gonna be rolling out to help uh, the rollout of electric and ultra low emission vehicles, particularly in the public transport sector. So buses, taxis, private hire vehicles. We wanna see as many companies switch to those zero emissions vehicles as possible. Are you doing all of that that you mentioned quickly enough? And, uh, and in, an, in the Burns report, there's very much a suggestion that public transport isn't up to scratch. It isn't an adequate replacement for commuting by car. And I'd, I'd suggest that as a consequence of years of under investment in major chunks of the public transport network, principally rail, which we're not responsible for, the track, stations, signals, we are not responsible for, it's UK government. You're responsible for lots of other parts of the rail. We are indeed. We're responsible for the trains that run on those tracks. But if the tracks are creaking, then the services can't be relied upon at times. And that's why we said to the UK government that £1 billion underinvestment over the last five years is unacceptable. But what about the areas that you are responsible for? The, you mentioned the metro. It, it, from the outside, it, it feels stalled. It feels uh, as if it hasn't... Not at 
all. The transfer of what we call the asset, all of the track in the stations and the signals is taking place this spring. That enables us to get in there and do the work to ensure that we'll be operating by 2023, four trains per hour on the Valley's lines. Um, what about something more radical? Like, what about trams between Newport and Cardiff? Or, um... well, the whole beauty of the metro scheme is that it's been designed with what we call extendability in mind so that we can extend those services using on-street uh, uh, trams in the style that you, you'll find in Manchester, for example. This is a hugely ambitious programme and we don't just wish to see it confined to the southeast of Wales. We're rolling out metro visions for the southwest of Wales and for North Wales as well. And you talk about 2023, but that won't be the completion of it. It still seems far away, whereas the problems are now. So the problems with air pollution uh, are now. So in terms of the action that we are taking right now, um, we've introduced those uh, clean air zones and those measures concerning uh, nitrogen dioxide on the trunk road network. That's in operation right now. We're also investing £74 million in the coming year on greener public transport, more resilient roads. Um, part of that will be £29 million uh, to begin the process of converting buses, taxis, private hire vehicles to electric. And we're investing heavily as well in electric charging points, but we're doing so with a view of drawing in more of the private sector's investment. The, the reason I, I, I suggest that it's, it, it's, it's not there and it's not far away, and in fact, the, Lord Burns said that it, the public transport isn't good enough, is that there seem to be an awful lot of um, disincentives. There seem to be an awful lot of sticks and not enough carrots. So you're thinking about congestion charges, you talk about 50 mile an hour zones, closing off junctions uh, here and there, um, uh, and not enough to encourage people. People would like to use public, I, I, I go up and down the M4, I'd love to use public transport, but it's not good enough, it's not flexible enough. And that's why we're looking at, you're absolutely right, carrots as well as sticks. Now in terms of the carrots, what we aim to do is to legislate this year, insofar as buses are concerned, to deal with the disaster that deregulation has caused across Wales. So first and foremost, making sure that passenger journeys on buses meet passenger needs rather than yeah, They need to be earlier and later, don't they? Earlier, later, more safer. frequent, safer, uh, going on routes that people need them to go on. We're going to be legislating to do just that. And if you're doing all this to try to uh, bring, you know, the quality of, of, of air up to scratch, why, why does the Welsh Government still own an airport? Surely that's not well, helping. Well, the airport is a hugely important, hugely important economic asset for the south of Wales. It also supports Anglesey Airport in the north of Wales. Now, if we didn't have an, an airport in Cardiff, where would the 1.7 million passengers per year, 1.7 million now, use that airport? Where would they go? They'd go much further in their own cars, in all likelihood, to Bristol or to Heathrow or to other airports in the south. They, we would lose them. And in so doing, we would see a huge increase in carbon emissions from their private vehicle use. And we've talked a lot about transport and in the other part of your uh, portfolio, the economy. Um, do, do we, as a Welsh public, just have to accept that there'll, there'll be a smaller manufacturing sector here in Wales in future? Not at all. Manufacturing is something that we can be immensely proud of in Wales. That, it accounts for 10% of that our that economy. can't be contributing and to air is, quality. Though, and there it? is a future for the likes of steel. Um, with the Clean Steel Fund, the Energy, the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund, which is being offered by the UK government, there is a future for steel, for low-carbon steel manufacturing, for low-carbon manufacturing. And this is going to be a key element of our manufacturing summit, which is taking place in April. Ken Skates, thank you very much. Thank you. And that's it for this week. We'll be back next Monday. Until then, thanks to my guests, both those here in the studio and those on the park bench. Thank you for joining us and good night. Mm -hmm.